podcast offering nerdy tutorials about topics for people who are not necessarily nerdy themselves. With you today is your nerdy tutor, myself, George, and with me here today, future pro wrestling women's heavyweight champion of the world, my mom. Now, next week we're going to go see Raw. Yes. Raw and WWE is coming here, but today's topic is not about that. We're going we're gonna to talk about Game of Thrones. Now, meant to talk about Game of Thrones here back in May when we had when the, when it was just ending. Yeah. And we got a little we got a little bit uh sidetracked due to some of the things that were happening, so Yeah. Um but hey, it's never too late to get started on it here now that most of, now that the season now everything's over. We can finally kind of talk about it and if you really wanted to binge it here, you're welcome to it. We're not going to talk too heavily about too many spoilers that happen here in the show because Mom has never seen it before. I have not seen a single episode. So, um, and I have yet to finish the last season of it here, but I've also have the opinion that if I watch the last season, then it ends and I can't enjoy it anymore. Oh. Even though I kind of know all the events that have already happened to it because everyone's It's over, seen. over? It's over, over. Although, sort of and not really, so. Well, I'm always late to the game. It's okay. So, uh, let's give a little information about what Game of Thrones is to start with here. So, Game of Thrones is based off a series of books by George R.R. R. Martin that are originally titled A Song of Fire and Ice. And of which Game of Thrones is the first book in the series. Now, he started writing the books back in 1991 with the first book coming out in 96 and Game of Thrones coming out in 1996 here. And you got that look on your face like you got a question. Well, no, I, I just, I'm, I'm trying to think of the timing, because when did the series start? The series didn't start actually until 2011. Yeah, I was going to say, to me, it's a recent thing. Yeah, but the okay. books, but again, the books were, were started writing back in 1991, and George R.R. R. Martin's got a very unique way of writing the books here that I'll explain in a, lo- a little bit later on. Um, but again, that first book took him five years to write, and originally he had intended the books to be a, ser- a trilogy of, of books here, but eventually realized that seven books is the way he wants to write it here and so the seven books include uh the first one which is game of thrones Mm -hmm. uh the next book that came out was called clash of kings in 1998 uh a sword a storm of swords in 2000 and five years later you had a feast of crows and in 2011 a dance with dragons we're currently waiting the sixth book here which is supposed to be the Winds of Winter, and then the final book here that'll eventually come out, I'm assuming sometime in 2030, based on how long it takes for him to write it, uh, Dream of Spring. Okay, so when people didn't know how Game of Thrones ends, and people were, some people were satisfied and dissatisfied, I, I, I've seen the whole broad spectrum of it. Um, and, and when I say that, I mean I've seen on Facebook posting and Instagram postings, people's com- and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, people's comments. So it's no that's no longer based on the book. It can't be because since the book is the books are not over. Yeah, no, this tends to happen a lot with Japanese animation as well when they adapt stories that are still ongoing that are uh, comics or manga. Initially, you'll have a lot of series in which start as manga and then get translated into Japanese into animation and anime. And what ends up inevitably happening along the way here is either that. Um, they add what they call filler material, which is material that 
takes place kind of outside of the bounds of the original plot of the story that meant to kind of fill in the gaps a little bit of some stuff or meant to kind of just another new adventure to, to tide you over until we catch back up with the story because they'll naturally always catch up with the story. Um, and so what ended up happening was is that by the time we get to about season six, they've run out of book material. And so when we get to season seven and eight, it's new material that they're writing from because they don't have a lot more. They don't really have anything else to base off the books. Okay. Um, and so ideally the sixth and sixth and uh, the sixth and seventh book will have maybe different stories to it. We don't know. Um, I've heard, I've heard some bits that George R. R. Martin helped shape the si sixth, sixth and seventh season here with kind of what's happening, but not by much. And again, the way he writes is a very organic writing style. Um, basically, he what George R. R. Martin does is he creates the characters, sets them loose in the world, and just everything that happens on the characters are based off what the characters themselves would do. So, okay, based on based on their their personalities and the traits he's given them. Precisely, yeah. Like he doesn't honestly have any major events or or tiny events mapped out. Like two characters meeting each other might be the intention that this one character wants to do this and then something else will happen be during that conversation based off of the characters interacting with one another. So there's not a storyboard? He kind of has an idea of where the story's going, but he doesn't intentionally write a storyboard because, again, like you're just introducing the characters into this world here. The characters have their own agency, and so they are allowed to interact in the ways they want to. Because you see so many other series, um, series books, and and some of them having been turned into um, movies and the the like. The one that comes to mind is the Harry Potter series, where you definitely had had the i the the feeling that she had a storyboard she was working, or that she at least had like a plot that she was going to go through. Yeah, and every book's kind of got a little new stuff that kind of gets added to the plot here that might. Yeah. And maybe shaped it a little bit, but she had the core idea of what was going to happen the entire time. Right. And it sounds like like this this doesn't. This doesn't. This which makes it interesting because it's very unpredictable. Okay. Um we've gone over the term plot armor before, right? Right. Nobody's got plot armor in this series. So 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 everybody's disposable. Well, not so much as just that everybody is disposable, but everybody anybody can die at any particular point in the show. And part of the fun is, like, hoping that your characters live. Sort of like Dungeons & Dragons, where you hope you, you hope you're... Uh... You hope you roll really well and that you live through the, through, live through the night, yes. Okay. Um, when the books are written here, they're all written from a first-person perspective here. And so it's different characters who take up what they call the point-of-view characters. And so okay. you have... Uh, and characters don't know what's happening to other characters unless they've been told what's happening to them. So unless it's one of those things where, like, they see what's happening um, around them, they won't know that something's happening in King's Landing versus happening in Winterfell, as an example. So, like, they don't really know what's going on unless somebody tells them what's going on or they see it themselves. So so as an example, if, if a, a character was not key in one book but was key in the next one, mm -hmm. he wouldn't necessarily know what happened in the last book. Um, like a good example might be that like 
if Ned Stark here is, is in the is in the north here, he doesn't know somebody's died in King's Landing that's important until the people from King's Landing tell him that somebody's died. Okay. So right. like they can't so they can't comment on events happening that they don't otherwise know themselves are happening. Okay. So 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 because I know nothing about these characters character well and nothing about the story mm-hmm. um except you know that um it looks like they're really well costumed oh, um so what sort of time period i mean i know you can't give it a precise time period but what sort of time period does this take place in so it takes place in the fictional kingdom of westeros and then another portion of the world that's of the quote-unquote known world known as essos and it's not necessarily a time period so much, so much as it would say um, a genre of time. So, like, a genre of time is medieval fantasy. Okay. Or you might have Renaissance fantasy, or you might have uh, kind the of crusades. a crusade kind of time period, or you might have kind of a uh, post-war kind of colonial sort of time uh, frame. like Or an apocalyptic. Or apocalyptic, yeah. Like okay. different genres kind of have their own kind of time frames in a yeah. lot of cases. This one, I guess, the best way to describe it is probably a uh, very medieval fantasy. Think very much in the vein of like Lord of the Rings, almost okay. in a lot of cases, um, where it's very much a fantastic, not necessarily a fantastical medieval setting. Like there's no elves or any or dwarves or anything like that. Although we're all humans. Is, well, you've got dragons. You've I got, know you have dragons. You do have dragons, yes. But, like, magic in this show is, like, very rare and uncommon. It, it, to, to see or find magic is just, like, oh, my goodness, we found magic. It's the most amazing thing in the world, and we have no idea how it works. Um, because there's very, very, very few magical um, elements in the show, and, those, and that which is magical is... Um, rare, very dark kind of magic, I guess is kind of the best way to put it. Um, evil? Very. Some of it is evil. Some of it is evil. I mean, like, but again, I mean, like, evil is kind of a denotion of, like, how it's used. I mean, like, if, you know, dragons at the end of the day here can be quite evil because they're very destructive and dangerous here, but if they're also protecting something at the end of the day here, they're not, they're not bad things at the end of the day. They're actually very beneficial to the world. Okay. So 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 people don't know things because there's no printed newspapers and there's no, no cell phones. No, cell phones don't exist. Like, the, obviously, the people who can read are not, are not very common. Right. Um, what you do have in the world is you have something called a meister or a, ma- a, me- a meister. Okay. Um, what they are, they are older men who have trained and studied in various degrees, essentially, like writing, arithmetic, some sort of different stuff here. Okay. Uh, they wear basically these chains with locks around them, and each lock kind of de- denotes what their skill sets are, like somebody who's really good with like economics, reading, uh, masonry, blacksmithing, occult sort of knowledge in some cases, or understanding of like ravens and stuff like that. Each one, there's they're basically like neutral individuals that just kind of live in each and kind of these different major castles or kingdoms around Westeros. And okay. they're basically like, if you didn't know how to read, this is the guy you have that helps, that teaches you what this raven said. Like, so they send a lot of like ravens and birds out that like transmit news. Um, 
They transmit news how? Not like a carrier pigeon. Very much like a carrier pigeon. Oh. So like okay. little 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 itty bitty scrolls you you tie you tie to their foot. Tie okay. to their foot and they so fly out to X, Y, and Z location and they come back and you read the note here. But if you're but if you're a lord but if you're just a person in the castle here, like you're a vassal of of a kingdom here, you just read those little you you get it and you're like no idea what this says. Meister, what does this say? And they'll read it for you. Okay. So they're very much neutral um, people in the world. Like, in a lot of cases, they it's actually kind of frowned upon for them to be uh, taking to take a, a position at all. Like, they don't take positions in like politics or anything like that. They're very much neutral individuals. Okay. Um, but no, yeah, again, like it's very, very medieval. So threat. very much a fantasy since neutral individuals no longer exist. Not usually, no. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, very, very fantastic. Very, very medieval series. Not okay. very, very much in a like as realistic as you can find fantasy. Okay. Uh, medieval period. So, um, so when we get to the actual show here of Game of Thrones, it they originally actually started preparing to do it here in two thousand seven. Um, the uh, not the publicist here, but the agent for George R. R. Martin basically went to a guy from uh, HBO here and said, "Hey, would you be interested in translating this into a movie, or would you be interested in this property here?" They, the guy, basically read the entire first book in about thirty-six hours. It was like, "Yes, this would be a great TV series," and. They actually even get started on it till about 2009 because of the 2007-2008 uh, writer strike. strike. yeah. And so um, they initially shot an early pilot in 2009, and um, HBO actually originally didn't like it. Oh. So they had to recast. They rec so they recast and reshot about 90% of all the material in it. And when it, they did another one here in 2010, it was basically like, how about this now? And they were like, yes. Okay. Um, and so the first, so the series debuted here in April of 2011, um, which again, when you think about it, it's like, again, like eight years ago, it's a very long running show and just finally wrapped up here last month, essentially in 2019 of May. Now, how, how many episodes per, per season? Now each season is initially the first six seasons were each about 10 episodes each. Okay. The seventh season was uh, nine epi It was, I believe, uh, seven episodes. And the final eighth season was only six episodes. Okay. Uh, but majority of the rest of, sh of this show seasons were ten episodes each. So, so not the not what used to be the standard, which was was twenty six, which I think is now twenty. Yeah, it used to be like twenty six, and in some cases eighteen. Uh, but keep in mind, every episode is about an hour long as well. Okay. So. It, if you want to be hyper technical, you could almost say it's like twenty-two episodes. And when I say like an hour long, I don't mean including commercials, so it's like a forty minutes or anything. No, it's like it's basically like fifty. It's basically like fifty-eight to one hundred and one minute long sort of episodes. Okay. So, um, so let's talk about some of the characters essentially. Okay. Um, basically, you can describe the show as taking place in three different kind of areas. Um, you have the Northerners, which are kind of up in what you might call Winterfell, which is the kingdom that they reside in. And also you have the Wall, which is this giant ice wall that divides the nice southern portion of the country versus the nice northern, which is the very harsh, wintry portion of the north part of the, of the country of Westeros. And 
everything that kind of happens beyond the wall is supposed to be like dark and evil and so there's people that live on the wall which are called the Night's Watch which are intended to keep out the things that are trying to get through the wall the, the, first, the first literal episode shows like these horrific events that are happening on the other side of the wall and um, and so like this, this thread of what's coming from the other side of the wall is consistent and constant throughout the entire show but can be very much um, ancillary to kind of the rest of the political kind of stuff happen happening, if that makes any sense. Okay. Um, but um, people you might have the people in Winterfell here are led by what they call the Warden of the North, which is the current like kind of like lord of that particular area here. In this case, it's House Stark. Now you're gonna hear the word houses a lot. There are a lot of houses in this in this show. Um, but each each house kind of like holds ownership of a, of a particular area, as it were, um, or different kind of key points within within the world. But also, like you might have minor houses that are just vassals of a certain lord of an of an area that eventually become much more important later on. But I'm, they're like counties, or or like. Well, you can keep think of a house as kind of like um, House Trump, and you got the Obamas. They're just Oh. Collections of people. Okay. And people. These are different collections of people, and then you might have people who are not born into the house, but are vassals or right. members of the house. Of uh, you know, they're lesser houses, but they're members have of sort the of greater a, house. Appended themselves to it. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. or they or they are like you know like um, vassals, I guess maybe is a okay. better way to put it. And so, um, I'm only really going to talk about the most important people that I can think about for the most part. Okay. Um, but I'll mention but I'll mention quite a bit here. This is one of those shows in which. You want to kind of, you almost need to have that giant corkboard of everybody's picture on it to kind of, with the yarn that kind of goes across to figure out what's going on with everybody, because there is a lot of characters. And it's again, war, the war and peace of, uh, yeah, of television shows. Okay. Oh, very much. Um, so you have basically what is House Stark. Now House Stark is the guy. You, you you'll hear the phrase a lot in the show called Winter is Coming. In the show here, the seasons are don't interact the same way. So, like, summer might take literally a decade before it turns into fall, which might take another, like, six, seven years before winter being, like, years as well. So, like, so the House Stark's uh, phrase at the end of the day is always that winter is coming, both symbolically and, and in some cases, metaphysically. Okay, now, does he, is he... Uh, he, is he associated with winter? I mean, is that... Well, their area is very much, like, covered in, like, a, like a perpetual kind of, like... There's snow, but then it's melting, so it's nice kind of sort of thing. Like, it's a sort of permafrost. A little, yeah. Like, there's kind of always, like, a bit of snow. Like, think of it kind of like Nevada in, like, November. Okay. It's still There's still quite a bit of greenery and foresty kind of area. It's still very nice and everything, but, like... You go a little bit more north, and there's clearly just ice and snow everywhere. Like it, like it recently fell snow. Okay. And then the more north you get, obviously you get to this giant ice wall. Okay. Um, so in House Stark, you've got um, Eddard Stark, also known as Ned Stark. This is Sean Bean, and he is the Lord of Winterfell. He's the uh, Warden of the North, as he's, as he's called. Okay. Um, and then you have his wife, uh, Catelyn Stark. And you've got this long collection of kids. 
So he's got uh, five different kids here. Now, his eldest legitimate son is known as Rob Stark. Um, so they have they have very anglicized names. Yes. They don't have sort of far out fantasy names. No, no, no. So you have like, you have Rob Stark. You have uh, Sansa Stark. You have Arya Stark. You have uh, Bran Stark. Uh, Richton Stark. Uh, you have a person named Jon Snow. Now, Jon Snow is somewhat unique because he is a bastard. Okay. Born on the wrong side of the blanket. Well, what? It, so, um, and this is probably... So, to kind of get back to the plot here, which I probably should have explained a little bit better here. Um, before the series of events in the show here, um, and, and mind you, like, Rob Stark and Jon Snow are probably about... 16, 17 years old, maybe if, if by the time the show starts, you know, 16, okay. 17, maybe 18 years old. Like, they're young adults. Okay. Um, prior to the events of the show here, um, there's the seat of power known as King's Landing, which is basically what rules over all the seven kingdoms of Westeros. Okay. And what happened was is that um, Ned Stark's father and older brother... Um, were killed by the Mad King, which is a, which was a gentleman by name. Uh, forget his name. Targaryen is the, is the house. Okay. And uh, basically started this giant war with Robert Baratheon, who was another uh, lord of another kingdom of another like castle and area here. Um, basically, they started a war. Now, like the Targaryens, like used to run Westeros very well. They invaded from the east in Essos on literal dragons, and so their crest is three dragon, three dragons, kind of like on top of one another, mm -hmm. or a three-headed dragon almost. And they basically ruled over Westeros with an iron, with an iron fist almost. And but they were very much malevolent leaders because again, they let the people live and they ruled over the kingdoms here. Um, this last Targaryen here is known as the Mad King because he was quite insane. Like, he would just kill people at random. Okay. And so it started this giant war, a civil war that happened where Robert Baratheon eventually killed his son. Uh, this Targaryen died, this King Targaryen died, the Mad King died, and Robert Baratheon takes over leadership of King's Landing and thus all of Westeros. Okay. And then they settle back into a kind of a series of peace for the next about, again, 15, 20 years, give or take. Um, but you have little kind of like skirmishes that kind of happen here and there. Jon Snow is actually, when Ned Stark went away to go fight, when he came back to Winterfell to, after all the war and all the fighting was done, he came back with Jon Snow. And it's presumed that he had an affair or he had a, he had a affair with a mistress who gave birth to Jon Snow, and he brought Jon Snow back with him as his. So Jon Snow's a young boy. Well, John, well, John Snow, well, John Snow is also like sixteen, seventeen years oh, old. Oh, okay, same, I got it. I got he's, it. He's the same. He's Rob Rob Stark's brother. Yeah, it's okay. technically his older brother, but not the legitimate older brother. Okay. So like he he again he's a bastard. Okay. And usually, if you're a bastard here, you you don't get to keep the same name as your house. That mm -hmm. you're born from, so like he can never be John Stark. No, he, not not unlike being being Henry the Henry the Eighth bastard. Yeah. yeah. So, 
Um, a lot of time you get names, you get you get a last name here that's very like you might get like, net you might get like Todd Snow or you might get like, Aaron Leaf or something like that. You get a very yeah. general, very kind of very kind yeah. of traditional last name, but it also denotes that yes, you are a bastard. Yeah. Okay. Um, but Jon Snow is treated very much like you know a member of the family here, even though like Caitlyn Stark basically whenever she looks at him just like glares at him because it's the one time that. Ned wasn't uh, faithful to her at all. But otherwise, yeah. they were very, very, very faithful marriage to one another. Okay. Um, and then the last person you have is Theon Greyjoy. Now, Theon is a ward of House Stark in Winterfell. Um, he, the Greyjoys are a, lead what is the um, Iron Isles, or Iron Islands, which are a small collection of islands that are just out off the coast of uh, Westeros. Uh-huh. And they tried to, to they tried to invade Westeros at one point to take it over, or to take over areas here, and then they obviously lost. Um, and as a result, here they had to give up Theon as a kind of political prisoner. So the intent was okay. that you wouldn't attack because you wouldn't attack the kingdoms again because if you did, we would kill your son. They have a hostage. Yeah, we have a hostage, and but he's treated very nicely by by the Starks okay. here. He's he's very much he's very much given an education. He's the same age as Rob Stark. He's treated in very, um, he's treated very much like a member of the family, like not unlike how you would treat like the next door neighbor. Okay. The next door neighbor's kids. Oh, the next door neighbor's kid. Yeah, you can come for dinner. Thing, yeah. You know. um, very, very. They're in a very like good relationship with one another. Okay. Uh, each of the kids here, uh, with the exception of Theon. Um, of the six kids here have what they're known as dire wolves. Now, uh, the House Stark is, their sigil, is, their flag has a dire wolf on it. Now, a dire wolf is like a regular wolf, but like three to four times the size. Oh, oh, like, so, like the, so the Hulk of wolves. Um, well, basically, like they're, they're the size of your kitchen table and about as tall, and almost as tall as, as you. Okay. Um, and each one of these, uh, they get them as small pups, and each one of the of the direwolves basically imprints with one of the children here, and so they're very, very loyal creatures to each one of them. Okay. Uh, to each one of the kids here, um, to the point here where like the wolves won't go anywhere without without the kids, or if they do, or if they're, or if they do, it's very rare for that to happen. Okay. Um. Uh, so yeah, House Stark is kind of basically the portion of the North here. Um, but the series of events here, what ends up happening when the story starts here, is that um, somebody's died in King's Landing, and so Ned has to go to King's Landing to help the king. But at the same time here, um, Jon Snow is now becoming of age, and he's got to go to the to the he's going to go join the Night's Watch, which is at the Wall. Um, now most of the time, now back in the day, knights the the Night's Watch, which is the people who watch the wall from people who uh -huh. think they come on the other side of it, um, used to be a very prestigious sort of job. It's not anymore. It's it, the only people that ever go to the wall here now are basically uh, murderers, thieves, prisoners of war, um, and the and nobles who have no legitimate claim to their house at all, like. Rob, like uh, Jon Snow here. And you meet other people in, uh, you meet other nobles who have been like exercised from their family in, in the in the Night's yeah. Watch. And so you have other nobles that are up there that are kind of like 
yeah, I'm noble and I'm a good guy, but like I just my family can't do it, and my it just can't be a part of my family anymore because they kicked me out, or I've done some transgression that will allow me to do to be there and okay. be to be to have my house net house anymore, stuff like that here. Um, then we get to King's Landing here. King's Landing is basically the seat of power that's in. Um, all of Westeros, they basically control all the seven kingdoms, including King's Landing, which is its very kingdom. Um, its highest position is known as the Red Keep. It's basically a castle that's red. And it's where we, sits the Iron Throne. And this is uh, a throne that's made by the first invading Targaryen family when they invaded from the west, from the oh, east. Oh, it's so primitive looking. Um, that's that's really in, obviously made of... of swords and I assume every every district's sword. So what happened was that basically um, anybody who didn't pledge fealty to the Targaryens when they first arrived on their dragons, um, they took their swords as a result here and then one of the dragons basically burnt the swords or basically heated up the swords here and they formed a throne out of it. It's a very pointy throne. It's not comfortable to sit in from what everyone says. Yeah, no, it doesn't look comfortable. No, no, very much not comfortable at all. Um, but it's one of those times, but it's definitely one of those uh, chairs here where basically it is the seat of power. Okay. In, um, in, so whenever, and so this is the throne that they talk about in Game of Thrones. Yeah. So this, this is the throne of power, essentially, that basically anybody who sits in it is basically, you know, the big guy in charge. Okay. And uh, you said guy, is it ever a girl? A Kate, maybe. Okay. Wink, Just wink, nudge, me. nudge. Okay. Um, but we get to King's Landing here. There's two major houses that are in King's Landing. There's uh, House Baratheon, and then you have uh, House Lannister. Uh, House Baratheon is uh, the current king of the uh, of uh, Westeros here in the Seven Kingdoms. This is Robert Baratheon, Ned Stark's very good friend. Okay. Um, and then you have his uh, wife, uh, Cersei Lannister. Now, the Lannisters are fun, because for me at least, because... Uh, the Lannisters are uh, wardens of the West. They control uh, what is known as Castle Rock, which is a huge gold mine for the kingdom. So it's basically where all the money in the kingdom comes from. Um, they also have quite a bit of an army, and they basically are um, the region's kind of protectors on a certain level. They're like the they're the mo they're one of the most important families in, in the kingdom here. Um, they're, they have a lion as their sigil, as their uh -huh. crest. Um, House Baratheon has a, a stag. Okay. Um, what's great about the uh, Lannister here is that their motto is, a Lannister always pays his debts. And they mean that both literally and figuratively. So, like, if you, so, like, if you promise something... The Lannisters, if your Lannister promises something, they will make sure it happens, or they'll make okay. sure that they pay good on that, even if it takes like years to happen. They will, pro they will, they will make good on that. Okay. Um, ver and certainly, again, they're the masters of money as well, so they will literally pay off their debts as well. Okay. So it's a phrase that you'll hear slung around by the by the pe by people in this year of this family all the time, especially one of them here. Okay. Um, but what's happened here is that um, House Baratheon and House Lannister basically forced a marriage between the two families to make sure that the power of the kingdom was like legitimate and well kind of guarded here. 
So, like, Robert Branty and Circe's don't really love each other, but they've had children together. And so it's what keeps the realm together, essentially, if that, if that makes any sense. like. Well, you know, and that's, that's something that happened in medieval times all the time. Precisely, yeah. yeah. So um, right underneath that is going to be Cersei's brother, which is Jamie Lannister. Uh, they are twins. Um, and they have kind of a brother-sister love affair with each other. Oh. So... Um, you have the youngest, uh, and then you have their father, which is Tywin Lannister. He is a, he is the Warden of the West, and he basically leads just like, he's right now leading this giant army to protect the Westeros from wildlings, which are kind of like barbarians, if you will, and then anybody else who's basically trying to, um, invade Westeros, as it were. Now, now there's the, the North Wall. What is there to the West? I mean, are there East and West Walls? Um, so to the east and west are basically water. Oh, okay. So the east and west We're is water, and then okay. you have um, think of, think of it kind of like North America, where like if where where Mexico happens, it just ends. There's no South America after that. It's just whatever happens. It's almost as if the country just kind of like ends at a certain point. Doesn't end at Canada. No, but you consider everything on north of the wall very much Canada. Okay. Very, very, very snowy, very wet. Uh, ru- there's no laws kind of that happen over there. It's basically whatever rules. It's like, I'm the guy who's going to kill you if you don't follow what I say. That's the rule of law. Okay. So he, he, his name might even be Law. So. Um, uh, but then you have what is one of my favorite characters and everyone's kind of favorite character, which is Tyrion uh, Lannister. Um he is, this is Peter Dinklage. It's a, he is a yeah, dwarf. Yeah, know who that is. Um, and he is probably one of the most fan favorite characters in this entire show. Just oh be, yeah. If just because like he gets all the best lines, like he gets all the kind of cool stuff kind of happens around him at a certain point here, and he is just probably the most funnest character to watch in this entire show. Uh, yeah, Peter. This was. Peter Dinklage was a star before this. This just made him an even bigger star. Yeah. This is why you see him in a lot more stuff here now. In fact, actually, with a lot of these characters, with a lot of these actors, this is why you see them in a lot of shows here at all. Is only just because they got big off of this show. Yeah. So, um, but no, so Tyr- you have Tyrion Lannister. He's cool. He gets a, he gets a buddy named Bronn, who's a uh, mercenary who kind of hangs out with him as well. They have, the, their dialogue between each other are very fun to watch. Like, they're, they're a great buddy cop duo. It's 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 great to watch the two of them. Um, you have a couple other characters here as well. You have uh, I don't really want to go into the other kids from um, from Robert Baratheon series because they don't really play any major role here at all. Okay. Uh, the only one I will mention here is Joffrey Baratheon because um, he will eventually become a very important character later on. But he's also like every rich kid you've ever met. Spoiled and stupid to a to a T, um, but he is also a very fun character because you just want to see his face punched in one of these days. Um, who else do we have here? Uh, we have a couple of knights that are in um, that are in King's Landing. We have uh, Sir Gregor Killane. He's uh, was played by a number of different actors here, but he's a very like he's seven feet tall, just built like a built like a tank um he's known as the mountain he's one of the guards he's, he's one of the king's uh guards essentially like he's very very kind of like 
people who protect the king, king essentially. Um, you have his little brother, which is uh, Sandor uh, clothing. Um, he's got a he's about six foot seven, but still just as big as his brother, uh, but not as well respected. He's kind of like the runt of the litter, if you will, for them. Uh, he's known as the Hound because he's got a pretty bad scar along his face that he got from fighting a wolf. Okay. Um, and then you have uh, the other two characters here are equally just as interesting. You have uh, Peter Baelish. Uh, he is a man known as Littlefinger. Um, he initially was seri- he's initially in the series uh, known as the Master of Coins. So he's like the the treasurer of the kingdom here, essentially. Um, but what's interesting about him is he owns literally like dozens of brothels around the King's Landing, which is how he makes a lot of his money. He's very, very much the influential kind of guy you want on your side. Okay. Um, even though like when you look at him, he's like, I don't know what power you wield. No, I own, I wield quite a bit of power. Where? No, no, no. I, I, I'm very important. And it's, it's not initial why he's so important, but like he becomes, his actions lead to why he's important later. Okay. Um, and then you have uh, the last guy here is known as Varys. He's a eunuch who um, is the spy master. He knows kind of everything that's happening. He's always well positioned around the world, around the kingdom. Um, he's got spies everywhere, which kind of help him every, uh, with everything. He's known as the spider because he's got so many different webs that he can tug on to know just about anything that's happening. Um, so he's kind of an interesting, fun character to watch as well. Now, you, you started to say the world. Do they interact with a larger world, or is it just their world? So, so there's two types. So um, two major areas here, which is obviously Westeros, north of Westeros, but then you also have um, the other side of the Great Sea, which is Essos, okay. or Essos here. Um, and this makes up what is known as the known world. There's other portions of the world that do exist, but it's not that anybody is really... Is the show and the world and the people from the show don't actually travel out to those portions of the world at all? Um, and but they know they're out there. But there's but they exist out there. Like uh, if you have to imagine it here, uh, imagine it kind of like the original like thirteen colonies, and there was this whole other portion of North America that really hadn't been like colonized or explored, studied or yeah. explored at all. Yeah. So all that exists out there, they know it exists out there, and they're gonna. But they're just not interested in going and looking at it. Just they don't yet. have their Lewis and Clark yet. No, they don't. Well, they might, but I mean, like again, you know, even Lewis and Clark took like 20, like what, fifteen years before they came back. Well, no, they took three years before they came back, but oh. still was a long time. Yeah. So, um, so that's King's Landing here. Essentially, um, Ned Stark goes down to King's Landing because somebody's died. A position they call Hand of the King. It's basically the uh, right hand man. Um, and so he brings some of his family with him. He brings his two daughters, uh, Arya Stark and Sansa Stark. Uh, Sansa is very much a girly girl, and Arya is very much a tomboy girl. Okay. Um, and so they come down with Ned Stark and a couple of his uh, vassals and his people with him. And Ned Stark is very much not of politics. So having to be the hand of the king and manage this inner circle of politics that's kind of happening in the background is very weird to him but he's doing it because his good friend who is king here needs help and we can't say no to the king and he can be trusted yo yeah and that's the other thing you very much be trusted here that's that's a portion of the show here in which like trust is very much one of those things that like either you have or you don't have and even when you do have it like you're never quite sure you really have it oh 
Um, and then you have what's known, and then you have this other story, which doesn't really make sense why it's here, so much as that, like, eventually it makes sense. So this okay. is happening in Essos, and um, if you remember, we was talking about um, the Civil War and the Targaryens here. Yeah. What happened was that uh, the Mad King, when he died, they shepherded his, they shepherded his wife and his one remaining kid out of King's Landing and took him back to um, the one island where the Targaryens lived at. Um, and they gave birth to uh, uh, Daenerys Targaryen, which is the youngest child. I've heard of Daenerys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the youngest child of the Targaryens. And she was basically, the mom died in birth, but. Um, but you have Daenerys here, who is a um, uh, the last known born Targaryen here, and they escaped to the they escaped to the east here to Essos, with the intention that they were going to build up an army, and come back and reclaim their rightful position as uh, lords of uh, the, of the kings. King, kings of the, of Westeros here. Yeah. Um, so you have in, but again, what's kind of interesting here is that like. These characters that happen here in the e in the east don't ever interact with the characters from the west. You'll have like bits of the episode of episodes which go to focus on them for like ten twenty minutes in some cases, but like they are. N but the events that are happening over here have nothing to do with what's happening over here in Westeros. They're almost like happening in. Um, you almost could write another book just about these characters. So they're happening in parallel, but they're not impacting each other. No, they're not. Although some characters from um, Westeros here end up coming over there at one point and joining their crew of people but like for the most part here it's whatever happens in Essos is happening in parallel with what's happening in Westeros but not but they don't meet each other they, they don't they're not like meeting in the middle at all so what happens in Essos stays in Essos for the time period until later seasons okay um, and basically what you have is you have the two remaining Targaryen kids you have uh, Varys Targaryen and you have Daenerys Targaryen. Varys is the ideally the surviving, the eldest son and so he is the rightful king of uh, Westeros. He needs to build up an army to basically take to take it back here. And his first his first choice of armies that he wants to, that he basically wants to create here is going to be out of the um, Dothraki. Now Dothraki are these uh, are these uh, nomadic sort of people? They ride horses. They're like big Samoan kind of guys for the most part. Um, if that explains it here, um, it's where we first get introduced to Jason Momoa, who uh, was known. And it's as, almost almost a Samoan name of Momoa. Yep. Well that, well, that, well, that is that's Jason Momoa is the is the actor. He plays Kyle Drogo. He is this warlord for this Dothra this tribe of Dothraki, who. Um, you know, again, these big British horse people that basically ride around on horses and they conquer other lands. And so this is this is what Varys thinks. Are they mercenaries? No, no, no. They're very much nomadic sort of, uh, very nomadic horse people. Okay. Um, I guess kind of a greater parallel might be like the Native American Indians that just ride around and... But how does he persuade them to, to join his side? Varys is basically, Varys is basically um, offered to... Give up his sister to Khal Drogo. Oh, lovely! How does his sister feel about that? His sister is not ide not idyllic for it here. At the end of the day, 
Um, she's basically had the distinct pleasure of they've lived in a small ma- they've lived in a small mansion that's by the waterfront because their name still has some influence. Yeah. Um, and um, there are people who are still very loyal to House Targaryen that's keeping him safe for the most part. Okay. Um, but she doesn't like the idea of being married to Kyle Drogo at the end of the day, if only just because obviously it's this barbarian nomadic guy. Kind of grew she, up with different customs and standards. Yeah, and, yeah, and she's been very much this little princess in a castle that's been very, very much knows what's going on in the world. Like, very much knows that, like, I can't go back home. I'm in exile. Like, I'm hiding. She knows what she's missing. She knows what she's missing. Um, but she has very much no interest in the throne. She really just wants to live out her wow. life. Um, she has no, she, she would very much like to go home, but she, it's, she doesn't actually know what home looks like at all. She yeah. was never born in King's Landing. She wasn't. A, she never saw it, so she really has no knowledge of it. As were uh, Varys. Uh, Varys here very much knew what he was missing. Like he left when he was like three years old. Okay. But he very much knows what it's like to be a Targaryen and to have like this prestige and everything, even if he only knew it for a little bit here. And he's very, very intent on getting back to Westeros. Um, and so. Um, Daenerys ends up becoming uh, married to Khal Drogo. It's where she gets the name uh, Khaleesi, which is kind of like the... I've heard about Khaleesi. Khaleesi. Um, that's the um, name for... I, I guess the best way to describe Khaleesi here is kind of like a, the wife of uh, Khal Drogo here, which is a Dothraki warlord. Uh, kind of his wife at the end of the day. Or, uh-huh. or her Dothraki name. When she's around the Dothraki, which she eventually learns their language to speak in a different language. Uh, she's very much revered by all of the Dothraki because of who she is. Okay. She's the warlord's wife. Okay. And so they all address her as Khaleesi, even though like her real name is Daenerys. Okay. Uh, That's actually a good explanation. Okay. Yeah. She gets a lot of nicknames here. She's uh, the daughter, I believe she's also known as the, uh, she's uh, Daenerys Stormborn, because she was born on um, Storm Islands, I guess it was. Those okay. are the, island, the islands in which uh, the Targaryens lived at. Um, she's also known as the Mother of Dragons, but that for a much later... I've heard that, yeah. For a much later, she gets... Daenerys is a big player in this world. Okay. Even though she doesn't necessarily want, want to, to be. be one. Okay. Uh, following them along is a guy named uh, Jorah Mormont. Mm-hmm. Um, he's basically a knight from Westeros that's loyal to the Targaryens, but he's in exile. Okay. For um, events that he basically for debts that he uh, could not pay, he basically got a wife and spent a lot of money trying to keep his wife happy um, for the lavish lifestyle that she originally had. Um, and as a result, here he couldn't pay his debts at all and was forced to go uh, because he couldn't pay his debts. They basically took his kingdom and his, and his, his, his all of his stuff. Uh-huh. And basically said, well, you're going to have to go to the north. You have to go to the wall and join the Night's Watch here because you're no good. You, basically exiled, okay. Yeah, you're, you're, being, you're, you're being exiled here at this point. And he was like, no, and left. Uh, leaving the wall is a big deal. Like, leaving the wall is punishable by death. Okay. So he it's like going a wall. In the very much, yeah. Okay. Um, so he went, to the, he went to the west here, uh, to the east here, and pledged loyalty to the house Targaryen and basically was kind of been like and also an older brother to these Targaryen kids yeah um and 
I don't know if it, best way to describe it. I think he's in love with uh, Daenerys here. Well, uh, what happened to his wife? Well, his wife left him. Oh, because he couldn't buy her the things to make her happy. Well, again, when he when he go he was supposed to be sent to the north here um, to the wall. Uh huh. Um, basically, they got they annulled the marriage here, and they got divorced, and so she could go find another person to go um, to make, get, to make get mar- miserable okay. to make miserable here, and he was basically going to the north, and so like his wife, I don't even know what happens to his wife. His wife just splits. Okay, so she disappears out of the storyline. Yes. Okay. She has almost no part in it except as an ancillary sort of thing. Okay. Fair um, enough. And so, yes, yeah, so those are the major kind of like three major areas of story that you watch through. Um, there's a lot of other characters, which I don't mention here just because they're not immediately important or they are not important right now. Okay. They will be later, but not right now. So, um, but uh, a couple other kind of fun things about the, about the, about the world here is that there's a lot more about the world that's, that they talk about in the books here. So they go into a lot more um, talking about uh, previous events, battles and fights and things that happen um, that help kind of paint the world a little bit more. Um, the DVDs for the Game of Thrones series have this wonderful little collection where um, some illustrators kind of illustrated a lot of the art for, for it and they kind of move through the art and explain like, all this backstory kind of stuff that's happening, that's kind of happening, that everyone kind of talks about in the background. Okay. Because people talk about, yeah, you remember that one fight? Yeah, that one fight. Oof, that one fight. And then these kind of extra bits here go in and describe this one fight. Or they might describe um, Castle Rock a little bit better so you understand more about what Castle Rock is and the Lannisters. And you might talk about Winter at the different houses and... Okay. And they're all narrated by uh, the actors of the show. So it does a okay. great... So, there's a great bit of it here. You can find it a lot on a lot of this on YouTube, which okay. is where I found it at. Um, it helps paint the backstory of all the kind of the stuff in the background, like okay. who are these characters? Um, uh, what else is there of vested interest here? Um, although not initially important to later episodes, uh, especially, but there's a special steel that's. Um, exists within the show um, okay. that's not really you can't really make it anymore because nobody knows the techniques how to make it anymore um, it's known as Valerian steel um, and what it is basically it's a like the hardest metal you can find that makes swords out of it essentially um, you can't uh, you can't remake the metal but you can melt the metal down to make to make new swords and weapons out of it um, and every house kind of has a Valerian kind of steel weapon, which is their namesake. Um, and so you have um, quite a number of these swords kind of existing throughout the world. Um, and to take one of the swords from a house is very much a like, very much a huge slap in the face, which eventually does happen for one set of characters. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else really important to kind of mention here. Um, What's interesting about the show was that obviously people have read the books here, so they know some of the major events that are happening. Um, and because they know kind of some of the major events that are happening, there's a lot of reactions on YouTube that exist out there for these big events. Uh, so, because people are disappointed on how it's been handled, or or oh no no, no. so so 
so like season one, two, three, there's big kind of moments that kind of happen in the show. Uh-huh. And the show does a really great, good job of following the books. Okay. They do a really great job of following the books for the most part and describing the events that happen in it. Okay. So if you've read the books at this point here, which I get mm-hmm. a lot of people by the time that the if season one ended started reading all the books. Okay. Um, you know certain key events that are going to come up that are very important to the sh- to the series here. Um, and so what they did was they basically hid cameras in their um, they hid cameras in like the living room or or their bedrooms or wherever they were watching it with friends and family. Uh huh. And basically tape the reactions to of their friends watching these huge events. Oh, okay. So unspoiled people. Spoiled people who had read the books. Who were aware of what was happening. Reading. We're basically watching unspoiled Spoiled people's people. reactions. It's oh, okay. The, the best, example I've, uh, best example I can relate to this here is watching... Um, this is people who have watched Star Wars here before. Right. Showing it to new people and what, and obviously recording what their reactions are to key moments in Star Wars, like Luke and Darth Vader, like Luke basically. I'm tell, your father. Yeah. Yeah. Watching that reaction and just being like, "Whoa, Whoa. wait, what?" How, how? And then like them looking around, like, "No, no, no." Can't then, be. Can't be. It can't be. Or um, events in which like they're fighting and like somebody dies and it's like, "No." So yeah, I, I love I. I really want to do that with my nieces here. I want to see what their reaction is when the, when I show them Star Wars here and get to those points here because I think it would be very cute. Would be cute. I know they're smart girls. Um, but anyway, so what's great about this series here is what why everyone really kind of fell in love with it here is again obviously anybody can die at any particular time in this show. So there is no plot armor. There's no plot armor, and again, um, people die fairly frequently, or events happen that very much impact one person distinctly like sometimes you might lose a limb or um your wife gets killed and it very much changes everything that all happen here nobody's got any what's great about the show is that you just watch what happens again there's no belief that something is going to happen because you don't know what because there's no like hints about we're leading you this direction and sometimes they lead you in a direction and completely kill off what's happening on that side yeah and then they have to go somewhere else so it's very unpredictable, and since that's why a lot of people, I think, really enjoy the show because like they don't know what's really going to happen because it doesn't feel like it's following a normal kind of story here. Like most stories in have what they call a three act structure. Structure. Uh huh. Um. So like the first act is them getting the band together to go do whatever you're going to do. Yeah. The second act is them actually completing that the, what they were intending to do. And then the third act is, oh, now there's a new threat that's going to happen. we got to go defeat that. Yeah. So, like, if you had to um, relate it back to, like, Star Wars as an example, it's it's the plans getting to Obi-Wan Kenobi, getting Luke and the droids, and getting Han Solo with the intent that they got to go rescue the princess. They go and rescue the princess and realize, no, there's this giant Death Star that exists. We need to go destroy the Death Star to stop the empire and then that's chapter that's act three where they go and destroy the death star here so there's usually like a good three-act structure you can see this in um the first avengers movie where like you got to get the avengers together to stop loki you eventually get loki but then he escapes and then now you realize that loki is actually creating a portal to create a whole entire different mess now you've got to go stop that so there's a three-act structure that happens in a lot of stories and 
But with Game of Thrones, there's no three-act structure at all. It's very much a, what's going to happen this episode, who who knows? Well, it sounds like it's very fluid. Oh, it's very, yeah. Again, again what's, what's great about it is that everyone acts with their own agency. Like, none of the, none of the characters, you know, unless the character has any loyalty to whatever it is that they're doing, they don't go out of the way to go help somebody else just because it would be convenient for the story. Like, again, so like, there aren't manufactured. No, yeah. no, again, okay. like in a lot of cases here, like Tywin, uh, Tyrion, as an example here, like just moves through scenery as though like he doesn't exist in it at all. And he's got like no, no care about what's happening around him. He just moves right through it. So, in one case here, like he might travel to the north and then travel back, and he just keeps moving on because like he has no vested interest in what's happening in the in the north he just wants to get homes to king land king's landing because that's where he that's where he lives yeah he wants to get back there and so he doesn't care what happens to anyone else around him he will he will just he just wants to get back home and even makes friends with braun with the intention that like hey why don't you be my mercenary you can be my guard you can help me get you can help me you know get there What's in it for me? I'm going to pay you handsomely. Yeah. All right. Well, money, money talks. Well, again, very much for, for Tyrion as well. Tyrion loves to, to pass money around. If you um, have it. I mean. Again, Lannister always pays his debts. And again, for a lot of people, it's very much like, well, you'll give me what now? I'll give you a land. Yeah, I'll fight for you. You know, because, hey, here's this guy who's very well renowned and regarded here. He says he's going to give you land and money. He why pays not his debts. Why yeah. not believe him? That's their motto. Um, yeah. Or other characters are very much, you know, like, no, I really hate you. I'm going to kill you. And they don't like, no, no, let him live because he's a good, let him live because he's a main character. No, kill him. Okay. Like, the stuff like that happens left, right, and center. Okay. And so nobody really, never, anybody could die at any particular moment. Okay, so does the storyline move around? And I ask this because um, when I went to Morocco, Mm -hmm. been to Morocco twice, um, we actually spent the night inside uh, Ben Hadou, which has been actually the scene of any number of movies from Lawrence Arabia to Gladiator. But one of the things that it um, was the scene of was season two of of Game of Thrones and it's a very biblical looking place yes um, Game of Thrones actually takes place everywhere from Morocco to Scotland to uh, Greenland to um, New Zealand and a lot of other places here um, and they do a really great job of of dressing the area up here that's one of the kind of the very interesting things about Game of Thrones is that it's setting almost a new standard for CG, CGI and uh, uh-huh. digital digital effects, because they're literally recreating these entire kingdoms with like nothing in the background. Like you get to certain scenes where it's just like them, where they dress up the entire like they've made this the uh-huh. the set themselves, but then you have all those grassland just right behind you that should be filled with like walls and kingdoms and other stuff or like you know, like smoke or something like that. And they digitally put that stuff in and it's very hard to tell what's digital and what's not digital. You almost think everything is real after a certain point. And so, 
Um, they, again, they traveled all throughout the entire like world almost to to film a lot of this. Well, it's interesting because you see you see um, pictures that all over uh, uh, Ben Hadou of the um, of the dragons in this one like massive courtyard where right now there are horses, mm -hmm. um, and it's a trip. Oh no, yeah, no. Again, there's a lot of um, again, there's a lot of places here. It's one of those things where like, if somebody really wanted to, and they've done tours of. Uh, different sites like this like that um it's very popular to just kind of like travel around to do these different sites to see where like this was shot and that was shot that's become uh, a thing there's there's a, a girl with a with the uh, golden earring tour too yeah yeah um but yeah again like a lot of people can go visit here and again these places are beautiful places here as well i mean it's yeah. one of those like amazing things where you ever got to actually shot shoot you know film on this place um, but that's also one of like the really kind of great things is that like it's very much looks like a lived-in world where everything exists for a reason. Everything truly does look like it exists. Like they, they there are people here who who there are people here who literally made a living for the next like eight years just building prop prop swords and like baskets and stuff just to exist in this world because it's very period piece. We we stayed in a four hundred year old hotel that was all mud brick. It had no electricity. Mm -hmm. um, and you could pay extra to stay in one of the rooms that got used. Yep. Um, it was one of the inside scenes. We had dinner actually in a room that also got used for that. Got probably. used for that, um, and and all. But I remember you could pay extra if you wanted to stay in this one room that they had filmed some well-known scene in, which I thought was interesting. But I I totally got it because you wouldn't have to worry about any light switches or anything. The hotel had no electricity. Yeah. No, yeah, so. um, I mean, to that point here, actually, when you speak about all these great locations and everything, you got to remember that the early episodes for this had a budget of $68 million per episode. Jeez. Uh, that's amazing. And, that, and that's before you start considering, and again, that's after you consider that you're paying for actors, you're paying for digital effects, you're paying for locations, you're paying for... Well, and props and extras so and and some of these places like like going back to my my trip to morocco there weren't a lot of hotels around it so when they were filming it must have been like every hotel in like a 30 mile 40 mile radius yep to, to house all of it oh yeah because they, they just weren't unless you wanted to go out into a camel camp some, and I think sometimes they did. I mean, sometimes they do. Again, they would have makeshift hotels and trailers that they basically live in for the better part of what would be maybe three or like two or three weeks, maybe three or four weeks while they were filming. Okay. Um, to to those areas here. Um, but no, yeah, no. Again, it's um, it's what's interesting about this is you see a lot of characters physically age throughout the entire show because like. The show, each season basically kind of is its own year, almost kind of in real world time. I was going to ask about that, because you said, you said when it started, mm -hmm. these boys were 16, 17. What age are they now? They're probably in their mid-20s by, by the end of the show here. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of characters which start off basically as like maybe like 10-year-old kids that basically grow up to be to be like... 16, 17, 18 year olds about the end well, of the it's show. Well, it's one of the things that I appreciated about the, the Harry Potter series again. That they, uh, got, that they got the cast young and that you basically got to watch them grow up. Yeah, so rather than having having a bunch of um, 16, 17 year olds playing 9 and 10 year olds mm -hmm. when the movie starts, 
they got kids who are age appropriate and you got to watch them you know grow grow older with the with the with installments the books, uh, yeah. yeah with the books and the various movies here yeah, yeah. which is very it'd be very interesting if we ever get to do Harry Potter again if only just because like um to me they always missed a lot of it, you're doing the movies at the same time that books are coming out, and so like you never really know what's going to be important or not important later on down the line. Yeah. And so, like, I would love for them to redo Harry Potter in like another twenty years, maybe, um, if just to get like a new take on it, maybe. But even then, I'm still of the opinion here that like you don't really need to, and nothing will really change if you do. Well, and and actually, uh, I know somebody who who you know spent a weekend binging Harry Potter and said you. You view it differently when you know the ending. Yeah. So. so. Um, but no, yeah, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people are not happy with the ending, but to kind of really explain the ending has to go through a lot of material and just to get to like the, 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 the plot by the time we get there would be like month, would be like weeks worth of discussion of how to get, well, how we well, get it. So, so that's back to, um, you know, when, when it was playing, when the last season was playing, you were watching people on social media with, you know, really excited and, and exclaiming and could you believe that? And people weren't posting spoilers, but they were posting um, reactions. Yes. Yeah. And um, and I actually thought it was kind of respectful because people weren't posting spoilers, but um, they were posting reactions and some people were really pleased with how it ended and other people really weren't. But that's what that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. No, at work, I was very much of the opinion where people would start talking about Game of Thrones. I was basically like, hold on, let me leave. Because yeah. I didn't want to, because I'm, um, I, I, and I know, I know the series that it happened to me. So when I was, when I was younger, when I was watching a lot of Japanese animation here, um, there was a second season for one of my favorite shows, which is Code Geass. And every episode ended with a cliffhanger that made you need to watch the very next se- next episode a week later, I was very much like, ooh, two more days until the next episode, and yeah. you're really anxious to watch it, and that just, like, burnt me out on that by the time the series ended, because it was just like, God, that sucked having to do that. So now I'm very much of the opinion where, like, I don't like watching weekly shows anymore. Like, I will wait till all of it gets released in order to just binge watch it over the course of, like, a weekend. So, so maybe it's a topic for another day, but binge watching was never a thing when when... I, I mean, I think binge watching is something that's really come about in the last like five years. Yes, because you have all these streaming services, which makes it easy. You don't have to buy the whole series to do it. No, I mean, we, with the advent of the internet and streaming services, which really did come about because of more stable internet connections. I mean, yeah, I remember where when, you have speed. People have speed now. Yeah, I remember like if you wanted to watch a YouTube video, you would start the video and let it load for like two minutes, and then watch this two-minute video. Yeah, because if it were if you were trying to watch it at the same time, it was buffering all the data in. You would never yeah. actually you'd you'd pause, wait thirty seconds to watch the next ten seconds. Then pause again for thirty seconds to watch the next right. ten seconds. I mean, now that streaming services become more prevalent, and things like uh, Netflix basically just if they're gonna Netflix has done kind of an interesting thing here, where like they just buy a series, wait for it to get done, especially like with Japanese animation, uh-huh. then release it just as the full like twenty six episode or ten so you, episode sort of so thing. So designed for binge watch, watching. Oh, very. Much. Netflix, I think, is what came about with binge watching and then okay. when you get to 
uh, more services like Hulu, and then you got um, Amazon Prime, and most of the major cable channels now, like HBO, Stars, uh, um, Turner Classics here, like, they basically will now put their shows up on their streaming services, so you could watch it week to week, or you could just binge it the entire way through if you wanted to, and that's, um, again, coming, I think, a lot more prevalent just because some people, you know, like, if you work on Sundays when the show originally was coming out, you may not have the chance to watch it when it, when it was airing the first time. Yeah, and but in the old days, you would have DVR, I mean, you would you would have taped it. You might have taped it or DVR'd it, yeah. yeah. Um, but the, but there's a whole lot of setup for that. If you're not really good with using, you know, TVs, you know. That's why I have children. Oh, yeah. I'm just I mean, saying. I, re- I remember trying to get, like, stuff taped on back in the day here was, like, a real... Well, you had to set up. a timer and you had to, yeah. You had to make yeah. sure everything was properly set up here. DVR yeah. would... could. DVR kind of simplified it a little bit because it just recorded everything for you and then you can kind of go back and grab it if you wanted to. Right. Um, but now again, obviously, like, it's so much easier to just be like, oh, I want to go to this and I will now watch all of it now. Or I will put it on my list to watch so I can yeah. watch it while yeah. I'm working out or while I'm, you know, drive or with podcasts you're driving to work or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So it's, um, binging is very much a... Um, a thing now it was never back in the day I think because again like I mean again like if you really wanted to binge watch something when you were when, when we were back in like the 90s and maybe even the early 2000s here you basically had to go through the work of every single week taping it in order to then come back like weeks later and actually watch it so you had to do the actual work to get all that done yeah yeah um and in some cases here, it might be like if you own, if you wanted to watch several series here, like you might be able to put like six hours onto like a recordable tape, and then you might have to re-record stuff if you wanted to watch something new. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I remember the, I remember lots of uh, homemade tapes back at home. Yep, we have for, for uh, just about any movie we ever wanted to watch. Yep. Yeah. No. So so it's it's definitely it's definitely changed. Um, it's interesting because. Uh, binge, binging has become a thing, and I, I just can't imagine sitting in front of my my television for ten hours watching one thing. Yeah, I mean, you, you, please don't complain to me that that Endgame is too long a movie. Then, no, 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 no. Endgame is a long movie. Well, but if you're going to binge watch something, I mean, it's shorter than something you're going to binge watch. True, true. I mean, I mean, like, it's it's long for a single sitting. Endgame okay, is still so if you binge watch, you could pause it and you could... Well, a lot of the time when, like, one episode ends, you might, oh, let me get up and change the laundry out. Because, again, yeah, like, an hour happens, so you can go do no. something else for five minutes. Or, like, three episodes in, you might be like, oh, let's go make dinner. So that's a, that's a fair comment. That's a fair thing. You can do that with binging. I like to uh, play World of Warcraft while I watch stuff because I can do kind of about two things at once. And I'm more of a... Listening for everything happening yeah. rather than watching it intently, um, because in my case here, like either I more care about the story that's happening and the characters' interactions, and if there's like fighting or something going on, I will stop the game and watch the movie instead versus paying attention to it the entire time. Maybe yeah, like I just like background noise in the background. Yeah, um, something to process in my brain. Yeah, I mean we're very much a family of multitaskers. Yes, we are. So, um, so your homework. Yes. 
So we are going to go see Raw's War. We're going to go see Raw on Monday. Right. And so in 10 hours is a lot of material to go through. Admittingly, I mean, like, it's basically like a day's worth, an entire full yeah. day's worth of work. I figure I have I have some time on Saturday. Plus, plus I go to the gym every yeah. day, so, so I could do part of it during that. So, you, so, so I've given you the first ten episodes of the first season of Game of Thrones. Okay. Um, and all the characters that we talked about are kind of the important, somewhat important characters to that first season, as it were. Okay. Um Again, I didn't go into a lot of other... There's a lot of other characters that don't even start popping up until, like, season two in a lot of cases. So don't, I haven't really mentioned them at all here at this particular point, just because they're not in, that important just yet. Okay. Um, but I've been, but you've got the entire first season, and if you want to, I also put the second season on there as well. Um, but we're going to but we're gonna give you about two weeks here to kind of okay. watch a, a lot of material here, so a lot of time to watch it here. Okay. Um, for people who are listening to us here, the best way to watch Game of Thrones here right now is to, on Amazon, I think you can get it for about 25 bucks the first season here on DVD. Um, or you can, you can get a subscription to HBO Go, which is the HBO streaming service. And you can watch it on there. Um, the streaming services, I believe, is about nineteen dollars a month, nineteen ninety nine a month, so about twenty bucks a month here. Um, I know they do give out like free trials for like a month usually to watch stuff. So if you want to just binge watch for about a month here, you could do that and then cancel your subscription before it started charging you for it. Um, so that is an alternative if you want to. Um, but HP also has like quite a bit of movies on there as well. So there's probably more of something you might want to watch in there, like. Uh, Oz or The Sopranos. I mean, like, there's a lot there's of quite other, a bit. Yeah, HBO, HBO does a really great job of just coming up with like new stuff beyond just watching movies. Um, that's always kind of very entertaining in that particular regard. Like, they always just do a great job of having some good content on there. Okay, um, and original content, I guess too. So yeah, um, but so that'll be that'll be us here for this week. We're gonna have a review of our trip to an actual wrestling event here next week. Looking forward to it. Um, but in the meantime, thank you so much for listening to us. You can follow us again on our website at nerdtutorialpodcast.com where we have all the show notes and all the um, episodes listed on there. We also repost everything on our Facebook page um, at facebook.com forward slash nerdtutorialpodcast. And you can always visit us on Twitter at nerd underscore tutorial for uh, if you want to post comments, re- critiques, and reviews of what we're doing here. Please like us on um, please make sure that you review our stuff here on iTunes and other platforms because it does help promote the show and give us a good idea of what we're doing right and wrong. And we'd love to hear about more stuff that we're doing. Um, but thank you so much again for joining us here this week. It's been myself, the Nerdy Tutor, and my mom. And we'll see you guys again next time. See ya.